The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. For those uh, watching at home and and those here, uh, this has definitely been one of those weeks where as a preacher... um, you kind of look forward to Sunday morning, and you kind of don't look forward to Sunday morning. <laughs> you you, uh, you, you want to say some things, but, um, but you don't want to say some things. And, uh, and yet this morning, by God's providence, uh, we're, we're actually coming to a passage that I was supposed to preach uh, back the week of November the 18th. And I was exposed... Um, to COVID and found out right before, I think on a Saturday, and had to call Michael, and Michael preached that next day. Uh, so this, this sermon was written back in November, uh, altered a little bit, but I think even as we come to this text this morning, we can see the wisdom of God in so many ways uh, and how He works. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 42, and I'll begin reading in verse... 10, and we'll read through 43, 7. It's the very Word of God. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war, He stirs up His zeal. He cries out, He shouts aloud, He shows Himself mighty against His foes. For a long time I have held my peace, I have kept uh, still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one? or blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his laws and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons." They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, Restore! Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? 
Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, indeed, we come to you this morning and we beg your spirit. (laughs) We beg your spirit to come in might, to meet us where we are, to open our hard hearts, to open our blind eyes, to, to open our deaf ears, not to one side or the other, but to you. God, we beg that we would hear you, that we would delight in what you delight in, that we would be the people that you've redeemed us to be, that indeed we would find our strength in you and you alone, that we would find our hope in you and you alone, that we would see that your love is for us, the deaf and the blind and the obstinate, the disobedient, that you love the harlot, (laughs) you love your cheating bride, but you love us that you might redeem us. You love us that you might win our hearts and our obedience and our fidelity. So this morning we beg you to come and to win the hearts of your people. Oh God, would you bring revival? Would you bring reformation? Would you bring hope Make us, O oh God, different today than we were yesterday. O oh God, give us hope, but give us a hope that's beyond this world. Give us a hope that is directly centered upon you, our Savior, our King, our Lord. O oh God, I need you, and you know that, <laughs> and I know it too. So come, Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Here again, the words of Isaiah 42, 22. But this 
is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue. Dictatorial evil, marginalized and oppressed, literally driven underground, literally enemies of the state, (laughs) taken into exile, taken into slavery. These are the people of God. And and God promises one day, someday, to bring justice. In 42.1, he says, Behold my servant whom whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. God is not blind to the injustice of the nations. God will judge this land. God will judge every land. God will bring his judgment. But dear friends, this passage not only describes to us the justice of God upon the nations, but the justice of God upon his people. Who is the deaf one? Who is the blind one? The servant of the Lord. The messenger of God, the people that should be bringing hope to the nations are deaf and dumb and hiding out in holes. Dear friends, this has been a tough, tough week. And it's been tough precisely um, for the the reason that, that Michael declared. And that is the evil that was done this week at the Capitol was done in the name of Jesus. It was done declaring to be on the side of righteousness and the side of the Son of God, the very servant of God himself. And yet, though it was tragic, though it was evil, it is the, 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 the greatest tragedy is not the loss of a nation, but the loss of God's church. The greatest tragedy is not the error of unbelievers, but the straying of believers. And this is the message to God's church today. This is the message of this passage before us. And it is this, even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of exile, even in the midst of untold oppression, be the people of God. Be the people of God. Be my kingdom, be my church in the midst of all of this. Because that is what's radical. Dear friends, the best way to be free, the best way to be liberated, is not to gain power over your enemy, but to love your enemy. That is the power of the gospel. That is the Jesus that we follow. That is the heart and nature of his kingdom. It is not to overcome the oppressor with hate and power, but to serve and to love, and yes, to speak truth in love to power, but to do it in love. Dear friends, as long as we hate the oppressor will still have power over us. As long as we hate, as long as we don't forgive, the the evil will, will win over our hearts. And God says we are to be a people of love even in the midst of tremendous violence and tremendous injustice. And this is a hard message, but this is the message that, that God brings to Israel. And in verses 10 through 16, the very 
first point is this, is that God's people are created and redeemed to be magnets pulling other people to God. In the midst of a dark and fallen world, we are to be magnets pulling people to God. When we were living in Fort Collins, Colorado, planting a church there, it was back um, um, in the, the early 2000s, late, um, uh, you know, 98, 99. And it was at the height of this, this um, debate and turmoil in the church, really over um, sexuality. And evangelical Christians were condemning um, homosexuality, and, and they were boycotting and picketing, and, and really both sides were doing that to one another. And we began, we planted a church in Fort Collins, and we began worshiping, and the building that God provided for us was right across the street. It was in downtown Fort Collins, right across the street from an HIV clinic. And, um, and so, really, right at the beginning, um, a, a couple of us walked over to the clinic and introduced ourselves. And uh, to, we didn't get a, a bad reception, but we certainly didn't get an open-arm reception. And, and yet, we began to develop relationships. And, and the way we did it is we said, how can we serve you? What is the, the best way that we can love on you? And they began to tell us that those who had HIV, that the demographic that they were serving um, were really weak and, and uh, physically weak and needed someone to come and to cut their grass in their yard and to do odd jobs. And and so we began to develop relationships with people in Fort Collins which, with HIV, and we began doing these projects. And there was one um, couple, uh, these two older men that had been together for over 30 years. One was an English teacher at University of Colorado Boulder. And, and their house was really... Um, uh, needed a lot of work. And we renovated their kitchen. We... Um, um, just renovated one of their bathrooms and, and, and really loved on them. And at the end of the week, uh, one of the men called to meet with me, asked to meet with me, and, and I sat down with him, and he began to talk about those Christians out there, <laughs> those Christians that he felt rejected by and judged and, and hated by. And, and then he pointed to our group, and he said, but you guys are different. And that began a relationship. Um, they started coming um, to our church and were part of our um, community at, at um, Grace Church in Fort Collins. And, and a deep and strong relationship formed from there. And as I look back on that, and as I think about that relationship and the privilege and the honor that it was to be in... Um, relationship with, with, those, um, with those men and uh, the community really in Fort Collins. The thing that grieved me the most was that love seemed so radical, if not wrong. Love for those that 
we theologically did not agree with seemed out of place for Christians. And I don't know that that's changed much. The thing that gets me about this day and time is when we espouse a message that is not bathed in the love of Christ, we are, not espous- we are espousing heresy <laughs> because Christ is love. He is truth. He is love, and He is grace. And you can't espouse truth without coming from a place of love and it have any real effect. Listen to what God calls His people to do in verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let them give glory to the Lord and and declare His praise. Where? In their closet? In the coastlands. Go to the nations, he says, chapter 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It is our chief end to bring glory to God. And how do we bring glory to God if it's not by praising a God who loves sinners like you and me? How do we declare the glory of God when we are espousing a God who is all about power, and, and holds no sway and, and, and has, pays no attention to mercy and kindness and love and to the Imago Dei in every person. This is what God has called us to and what He's calling us to in this passage. Alec Moitner in his commentary on Isaiah says this, The missionary task of the Old Testament was characteristically performed by attraction rather than by outreach by the Lord's magnetic people. Let me ask you something today. Is there anything magnetic about your life? Is there anything magnetic about my life? Is there anything that would convince someone who is your enemy, maybe, who, who let's, just, let's not even use the word enemy, let's say believes everything you don't believe and you believe everything they don't believe. Is there anything in your life that would convince them to have lunch with you? (laughs) Is there anything in your life that would convince them that they could trust you? Is there anything, are the elements of Christ in you to the point that you could be friends? Or must everybody believe exactly how you believe and act exactly how you act as if you were the truth itself? Deuteronomy 4, verses 4 through 8. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? 
Peter puts it like this, live such good lives among um, the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. We are to live and, and to work out of a law that is gracious to one's neighbor. <laughs> in, in everything that we are, God calls us in the calls Israel in the midst of exile to, to, to make families, to get married, and to seek the prosperity and the flourishing of the city that's oppressing you. Unbelievable. That is the power of the gospel. And that is something you and I can't do without submission to King Jesus and his law. But are we a community, and that's the purpose here, are we a community that condemns the world around us or loves the world around us? Are we a community of truth and grace or only a community of truth and therefore revealing we really don't have the truth because we have no grace. Jesus describes his glorious return. He described really the laws that he was referring to in Israel of being a just community, people that love their neighbors themselves, people that care more about themselves. In Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Are we going to be known as these kinds of neighbors that see the needs of those around us and don't condemn and tell people they just need to work harder? Or are we going to be the people of God that clothe and feed and extend mercy and grace? And secondly, God's people, unfortunately, act more like than unlike the nations. Thus, we need reformation and revival. Verses 18 through 22, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? Friends, <laughs> who is deaf as my messenger whom I send? Do you, do you feel the frustration of God? My people who are the, the ones who are supposed to be seeing and hearing and speaking, they're the ones who are blind. Who is blind as my dedicated one or as blind as a servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue. The primary way that we reject the will of God in our lives is we will not listen to his word. And I think one of the biggest diversions from listening to the word of God is being a divided church in regard to conservative and liberal. 
Because all that does is it allows us to harbor our own idolatry, hide our own idolatry, without being exposed by someone who might disagree with us. When we so narrow our denominations or our communities or our friend groups, even on Facebook or Instagram or where, even when we narrow our lives down, when we have nobody that disagrees with us and everybody that likes and loves everything we do, dear friends, we are not only on the verge of living a heretical life, we are living a heretical life. I promise you why, because we all want to hear what we want to hear. We all want to believe what we want to believe. We have to have the diversity of people pushing back against us, whether it's racial diversity, whether it's economic diversity, whether it's political diversity, whether it's social diversity, whatever the diversity. Um, we need diversity in our lives because we do not possess the truth in our closets. Conservatives are deaf to systematic and racial injustices, and liberals are deaf to moral and, and, and uh, sins of sexuality and the like. But this pits the two ends of righteousness against each other, resulting in an overly harsh and narrow side that ignores the sins of racism and injustice, and an overly welcoming side that turns a blind eye to certain moral sins. Thus, we, we lose the beautiful alternative in which we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely by His grace. When we don't have a community that is bound by the realities of the gospel, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely, not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of King Jesus. It, when we have a community that's not bound by that truth and that reality, then we have a dangerous, dangerous community. I love what A.W. Tozer said in the 1950s. He said, A revival of the kind of Christianity which we've had in America the last 50 years would be the greatest tragedy of this century that would take 100 years to get over. What's the point of reinvigorating the kind of Christianity that has lost its way? We need a new kind of Christianity, reforming according to God's great purpose for us, not according to our notions but according to God's Word alone. And friends, we need that kind of revival in the church today. And hear me, I'm not saying everybody needs to be like downtown church. We need a revival. We need a reformation. We need to know. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Word of God to govern us alone, always and every day. Friends, there is no looking back to a time in which the church had it all together. We need something, we need a new work of His Spirit today, a new manifestation of His truth today. We need a revival today because the church always needs a revival this side of glory. I will point out, though, one example that I think that I have really been looking at in these times. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, not a perfect man, not Jesus incarnate. But he, he responded, he lived in, in a unique time in history in which he was a Christian living under Hitler's regime, regime in Germany. And he paid the ultimate price. He stood up, he, he spoke to power, and he was hung for it without a trial. 
Well, actually, he stood before a judge, but there was no jury and there was no defense, and he was sentenced to death by hanging, and he was hung. He was killed. So he stood up to power. He was vocal against the power of the government above him. However, he spoke these words and many more words like this in his sermons and so forth. In 1934, Hitler had just killed over 200 people who were rivals of the Nazi party. And Bonhoeffer got up to preach, and he shocked his people, urging them not to judge but to repent. And he referenced Jesus' words in Luke 13, 1 through 5, and, and, and he wrote this to his friend, Erwin Sutz. He wrote this. He said, we are the ones who need to be converted, not Hitler. <laughs> the danger of being so focused on how others or certain groups are failing you or even have hurt and oppressed you will never result in anything divine. The reality is no one and no one people group have, have risen above their need for Jesus. And, and this is so hard because we don't live in a dictatorship. We live in a democracy, and we can speak our minds. And thank God we can. We can. We do have freedom of speech, some of us, uh, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we, we do have freedom of speech. However... Just because we can speak, just because we can protest, we have to guard our hearts lest we become just like the ones that we are protesting against and just like the ones that, that have power over us. And that is the difference between Christian resistance and non-Christian resistance. And then thirdly and finally, how can we do this? It seems impossible. As we look at what happened on the Capitol, and we've got so many other examples of, of how we can become cynical and bitter and angry. How do we do this? I'll tell you how we do this. Verses 1 through 7 of chapter 43. Listen. But now, thus says Lord, this is, the, this is in the context of God calling His people blind, deaf, messengers. Um, you know, I mean, you, know, you, you guys have just hidden in holes and... He, this is a God who just condemns his people, and this is what he says to them. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called, and if you don't hear you in capital letters, you need to. I have formed, I mean, he created you, he formed you, fear not, I redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And friends, this is the first and only time in Scripture that, that God says this to His people. And I love you. Some of the, the lowest time of Israel, when, when they are raging in disobedience, when they are running as far as they can from God, when they are angry at God for their circumstances, God, does, God responds like this, I love you. I have a friend whose wife 
cheated on him with another man and left him. They divorced. He was humiliated. He was devastated. And yet a few years later, she um, outside, got out of that relationship and somehow, and I don't know the circumstances, they got back together and they remarried. And today, uh, they're madly in love. Uh, been married now for, I think, 15 years after that incident or so. And the power of that story rests in the, the, the reality that it mirrors the gospel story. Because in that story, we are never the husband, and we are always the wife. And that is the power of this message. The, the, the words are only felt when God says, I love you, he is saying that to his harlot cheating wife. When God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, he is saying that to a wife that's walked away and was not with him. He is, God is declaring his love for the very ones that he should be judging and should be condemning eternally. And this is the power of Christianity, and this is the power of the gospel. Christianity is not a competition for righteousness. Christianity is, is, is more of um, um, a striving for the humility that comes from recognizing that I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet God has given his own son for me, that he might adopt me as his son or daughter, that he might possess me as his spouse, as his bride, that he might cleanse me from my unrighteousness and, and, and lift me up and one day, someday be wed to me. At the end of all history in the new heaven and the new earth, this is the gospel of Jesus. It's a gospel of God not just loving his enemy, but dying for his enemy. That his enemy, therefore, might become radical lovers, not only of God, but of neighbor. This is why at the very heart of the law in the, in the New Testament, and really throughout the Old Testament too, it's not just love God, but it's love neighbor itself. This is the radical nature, and this must be that, that which defines us. In uh, Elliot Clark's book, Evangelism as Exiles, Life on Mission as Strangers in Our Own Land, uh, we read these words. All Christians everywhere are called to honor everyone. This can be incredibly difficult when we feel pushed into a corner as exiles. When criticized and scorned, we often respond in kind. That's because the natural inclination of every human heart is to play dodgeball with shame. If we're mocked, then we'll mock back. If we're trolled, then we'll be sure to troll back, only one better. But Jesus left us a better example. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Dear friends, how can we love our enemy? How can we be level-headed and want even the salvation of our neighbor in these times when, when uh, uh, of deep contention and disagreement? It's by understanding that God made us his friends, his sons and daughters, by sacrificing his own son that he might possess us, and he does, that we might go out and possess others in love too. Could this gospel become the very thing that so ripples through downtown church that we might be known as a church that loves radically?
that serves radically, that reflects the glory of Christ, even in the midst when we want to rage, even in times where we would rather fight than love. We'd rather condemn than serve. Will Jesus' gospel control us, and will we be the kingdom people of God, or will we be men and women of our own kingdom? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the very one who has won our hearts through your love. We thank you that you're the one that has captivated us with the beauty of your son Jesus, who was condemned, who was uh, crucified, who was sentenced to hell that we might never know hell's even smell. Oh God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds and make us radical lovers of our neighbor. Make us radical lovers, free us to the point that we can love those with whom we radically disagree with. Oh God, help us to be a community of truth and grace. May we speak truth and love. May we stand for what is true and right. But oh God, may we do so as men and women saved by grace and grace alone. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's respond to uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as we bring our tithes and offerings. You can see on the screen how to do that. Um, For those of us here, we can drop off uh, our offering uh, in the bucket over there um, or text 73256, downtown church to 73256, as is on the screen. Amen.